Thanks, Karen. Good morning, ladies. What a great place to be on this uh, cold January day. It's been pretty gray outside, and so what a, a joy to be here with your smiling faces that warm everything up. And these praises mean the praises alone make it worth coming to Bible study. I, I think um, what a great place to be, to hear people um, in every situation stand up and praise um, the Lord Jesus. I love that. <clears throat> Thank you for that. We're starting off this semester looking at women in the New Testament, women that followed Jesus. Last semester we looked at the disciples, we looked at men, but we're looking at women. And I hope you were here last week as Amy McConnell talked to us about Mary Magdalene, how God's grace saved her and transformed her into a woman who wanted to follow Jesus, even in the hard times and in the hard places. The first week we looked at the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And we saw Jesus loving this outcast, immoral woman and offering her the gift of life, the living water. And she accepted it. And her life was also changed as she ran back into town to tell the others about Jesus. Today we're going to look at two sisters from Bethany, Martha and Mary. And then we've got the picture up there. And I love this picture. I think by the end we will really see both sisters listening um, to Jesus, and I love that. I wanted us to look at women following Jesus for several reasons. The first, we're women. We're women, and so we can relate to them. Um, they're very different from us. Their stories are different, and yet their stories ring true. They strike a chord within us as women. And I also wanted us to be reminded how much Jesus cares about women. Jesus' attitude towards women in the New Testament times was revolutionary. We've said that before, but I wanted to say it again today. I don't want us to forget that. Jesus' attitude was revolutionary. It was very different from that time and culture. We've said before, men didn't talk to women. They didn't have conversations. They didn't teach them. Um, men walked ahead of them. Women walked behind. Women served the men food first, and then the women ate. Things were different. In fact, I read in one customs book that picture of Mary on the donkey with Joseph um, walking behind her, beside her, that, that he would have been the laughingstock of that day and time, that probably uh, Mary was not riding on the donkey. Now, I like to think the picture's true and that Joseph was a nice guy and that happened, but... Customs tell us that was very unlikely. Men could have many wives, and if they didn't like the wife, they could divorce the wife. The women couldn't go in as far into the temple courtyard as the men. They had to stay outside with the Gentiles. Things were very different. And it's hard for us to imagine, unless we think about the Middle East today and some of the stories we hear going on over there now, and we begin to think how things might have been. Jesus came to earth, and his attitude was different. We see him talking to women. We see him healing them. He listens to them. He came that they, too, could become uh, believers, that they could receive new life, life eternal and abundant. And as we think about this thought, we can know that Jesus loves us today. He loves us individually and personally, and he wants us to know him. And he wants us to follow him as well. 
Today we're looking at Martha and Mary, two sisters who followed Jesus. And the first place that we see them in Scripture is Luke 10, verse 38. So turn to Luke 10 with me. And we're going to look at Martha and Mary. Now, as you've studied and probably talked in your small groups, that's the second great reason to come to Bible study is the small groups. I hope you all are learning very much from each other in those small groups. Maybe the best thing you hear today will be something that you heard in your small group. I'm very grateful for the leaders and for those small groups. And in your small group, you probably talked today about how different Martha and Mary were from each other. Their personalities were different. The way they responded were different. And so often we find that true with siblings. We're very different um, from each other. Siblings are. I don't know if you have brothers or sisters, or maybe you've seen it in your children. But I have a sister, Sarah Jane. She's 10 years younger than I am. I love her dearly. Because she's of the age difference, um, there wasn't really any sibling rivalry. By the time she wanted to wear my clothes, I was married and five states away. So we didn't have any of that. And we're alike in many ways, but probably in many more ways we're different. She's laid back. Now that could be because she's the youngest and I'm the oldest and we have two brothers in between. But I'm the planner. When I get home to Miami, I'm, you know, getting everybody together and, okay, let's do this and let's do that. She's more laid back. And she's more organized. She went to um, college and studied business, and she um, is organized in those kind of manners. Her checkbook was always balanced to the penny. My checkbook was never like that. I used to just draw a line at uh, the end of the month and put in whatever the bank had. (laughs) I'm glad some of you are laughing because I realized when I said this to Scott, how many people don't even have a checkbook? You just do everything online. I mean, we're, we're, yeah, I can't look at you young people. Okay, well, we used to subtract in our checkbooks. (laughs) My sister was also different from me in that I'm very medical and she is not. She didn't like anything to do with illness. Um, I went to school to be a nurse and so I kind of thrive on being around sick people. In fact, when my, when my uh, little nephew was had pneumonia, was in the hospital, I called my sister to see how he was doing, and my mom was at the hospital with my nephew, and I said, Sarah Jane, get to the hospital. Where where I work, we consider moms like that suspect if they don't show up with their child, and she laughed and said, no, you know, mom can do a better job. My grandfather knew this about us, and so when my grandmother became very ill, he called me to come to Arkansas to be at the hospital with my grandmother, and he called my sister to come and to get all the insurance papers straight that were on his dining room table. We were different. Our last big way we were different I'm going to tell you about is our musical talent. I wish that I was musically talented. I love all that, but I'm, I'm not very talented. My sister, however, can sing. She plays the piano and the organ and the clarinet. And, uh, and I do not. My brother, um, who also has a lot of musical talent, we were having a reunion a few years ago, and he decided that we were all going to jam when we got together. And so I did play the flute in junior high and high school. So he sent me music to these, like, 60s uh, rock songs, and knowing the rest of the family could jam, and he sent me music hoping, you know, he was very disappointed when I showed up. <laughs> Even with the music, it, it didn't work out. So siblings can be very different. Sisters can be different, and that's what we see with these two women. And because of that, we can learn very much from both of them. So let's begin reading in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. 
She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will, be, and it will not be taken away from her. I love these five verses. I love the story of Martha and uh, Mary. And as we read this, it would seem that Jesus is familiar with this family and that he has been here before. Now, we see that it says that it's Martha's home. Um, we don't know exactly why it's her home. It could be some suspect that she was married and widowed, and now this was her home and that Mary lived with her. But we can picture this scene. Here comes Jesus and his disciples, and Martha loves Jesus. And so she runs to the door, and she opens it, and she says, Come in, come in and sit down. And she calls the servant to wash his feet. And then she runs to the kitchen to begin preparing a nice meal for Jesus and the disciples. And on the way, maybe she sees Mary, and she hands her a pitcher of water, and she says, Go, take Jesus a drink. Mary, as she goes to pour water for the men, hears Jesus talking, and she's drawn in and ends up sitting at his feet, listening to Jesus. Martha, in the meantime, is a whirlwind in the kitchen. She's pointing to one servant and saying, go to the market and get some lentils and pomegranates and dates and olives and and all those things they have there. And to the other, go kill the fatted calf. And I've got to get bread in the oven. And what about flowers for the table? We can picture Martha because we all know Martha's. Maybe sometimes you are Martha. I had uh, the whole Haygood clan over the weekend before Christmas. Twenty-two people came. And I do this every, every year. And every other year, I usually, by the time they're gone, think to myself, did I have a conversation with even one of these relatives? And so this year, because I had been studying this all week long, I thought, this is not going to happen. When they come, I'm going to quit cutting that butter into pats and lighting the can. And I'm going to run and hug everybody and talk with them. And so I can report to you all, I did. Now, you will find out anyway, I did have my daughter and my new daughter-in-law who were running around lighting candles and putting the bread on the table. But I remembered this story, and I thought, I'm not going to be like that. But we, we all know Martha's, and Martha had some great qualities. Martha was willing to serve. She was hospitable, and she was probably intelligent and organized and energetic. If anyone could pull off this lovely dinner for Jesus, it was Martha. But Scripture tells us, but Martha was distracted Martha was distracted, and that word just seems to jump off the page. And in the Greek, it is perespeo. It literally means to be pulled or dragged away and to become quite busy or overburdened. Isn't that a great word? And that is what happened to Martha. She was pulled away from Jesus, and she begins to feel the pressure of her preparations. Have you ever felt like that? You know, maybe you have been there. You start out doing something good, something nice, and then the pressure pressure of the task gets to you and your service for Jesus. And whenever we're serving others, we're serving Jesus. Our service for Jesus turns to grumbling and frustration, and pretty soon the joy evaporates. Our service is ruined 
because we become distracted. We're pulled away from Jesus. We're not listening to him. We're not focused on him. We're not paying attention. We're told that this is what happened to Martha. She let the preparations drag her away. She becomes overburdened. And so she says in verse 40 to the Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. When you read that, you think, whoa, Martha, to whom do you think you're speaking? It's Jesus that you're bossing around. It's Jesus. And then I think to myself, do I pray like that? Jesus, don't you care? Distraction does that. That's what happens when we're distracted. We stop focusing on Jesus and we begin to doubt. Our situation is hard, and instead of looking up and praying to Jesus, instead we look out at the circumstances, and we begin to doubt. We doubt the love of God. We doubt the plan of God. We doubt the power of God. And instead of listening, we begin bossing God. I thought to myself, what is the opposite of distraction? And the word focus came to mind, and paying attention. To pay attention is the opposite of distraction. And so I looked that up in the concordance, and I thought, wonder what the scripture says about paying attention. And I was surprised at all the places you see those words in scripture. And so I put one of them on your verse sheet. It's Hebrews 2.1, and it says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. We have to pay careful attention to what we hear. How does Jesus answer Martha when she starts bossing him? You know, I love it. He doesn't yell at her. He doesn't ignore her. He doesn't get up and walk away. No, Jesus loves Martha. And so he addresses her spiritual problem, which will take care of everything else. In verse 41, we hear him say, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. Okay, here's the second thing that happens when we're distracted. When our priorities get jumbled and we don't pay attention to Jesus, the first thing, we doubt. The second thing, Jesus tells us, you are worried. We worry. We worry when we become distracted. You know, in the 70s, there was that little um, saying that said, don't worry, be happy. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that little song. It was kind of a calypso beat. And the big yellow smiley face was everywhere, the two eyes and the big smile. And everybody would just walk around saying, don't worry, be happy. But how do you do that? You know, Jesus tells us how not to worry. He says to focus on me, trust me, look to me. We see that in Matthew 6, 25 through 27. I love this passage. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And then Philippians 4 says this, and this is the message translation. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. When we put Christ at the center of our life, he displaces worry. And then we hear Jesus tell the third thing that happens when we're distracted. 
he says, Martha, you're upset about many things. That word there for um, being upset about many things is literally translated troubled. You know, getting yourself worked up over nothing. You're troubled. You're frustrated. And he tells Martha, only one thing is needed. And that one thing is me. It's me, a relationship with me. Seeking Jesus is the one thing that we need. That's our first priority. And he says, Mary has chosen this, and it will not be taken from her. You know, it kind of struck me afresh this week as I was looking at that, that it would not be taken from her. You know, the time that we spend with Jesus, focusing on Jesus, paying attention to him, that is not in vain. It's eternal. It will not be taken from us. The time spent with Jesus or those things that we do out of love for Jesus, that is eternal. It's not wasted. I think that gives our lives so much more meaning when we think about that. What's Martha's reaction to these words that Jesus speaks to her? You know, what does she do? What does she think about it? The story ends here, but we're going to see her again in John 11. Now, I know that if that had been me, I probably would have responded by being hurt, kind of um, feeling critiqued, maybe stamping my foot and thinking, that's the last time I'm fixing you a nice dinner. But I don't think that was Martha's attitude because we see a changed Martha in John 11. In John 11, we see that Martha was willing to listen and learn from Jesus. She was teachable. I think she had a teachable spirit because of the change that takes place. She learns that Jesus loves her not because of her service, but because of who she is, his child. This is such a great thing for us to learn. Jesus loves us because we are his. Not because of what I say or what I don't say or what I do or what I don't do. He loves me because I'm his. And we read that all through scripture. And I put three of those. I don't know if we need to read them all on your verse sheet. The first one says, 1 John 4.10, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. We are his children, and he loves us because of that. What love that is, overwhelming, unconditional, lavish, godly love. I think Martha learns how much Jesus loves her, and her service comes from that. Jesus loves Martha for who she is and not for her service. So she listens to Jesus and she pays attention and we see that um, her doubt is turned to intimate faith. And we're going to read that in this passage in John 11. So look for those things. Let's start in verse 17. And it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Okay, let's, uh, let me go back and just remind you of this story. You probably remember it. We studied this when we looked at um, the disciple Thomas. But Lazarus has been sick. And so the sisters send a message to Jesus telling him that, thinking that he will come back and heal Lazarus. Because verse 5 tells us that he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But we also read that he waited. He waited for God's glory. 
Now that same truth was taught to us last week by Amy when she said God's grace allows hard times so that we might experience the grace of God more fully. And, you know, that's a good thing to remember. Remember and think about it now so that when we get in the hard and difficult times, when we get in those hard places, we can remember God tarries for our good and for his glory. And so that's what's happening here. Uh, Jesus has tarried, and now he's come with his disciples. And when he gets there, Jesus um, finds that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Let's go on reading. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God's, now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. What an amazing change we see in Martha. We see that she, first of all, goes running to meet him. Now, she had a house full of mourners. The old Martha would have been back there trying to get, uh, you know, crackers and cheese out for the mourners. But this Martha, when she hears Jesus is coming, she runs to meet him. And I think she really approaches him in humility. She says, if you'd been here, um, he wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. This is humility. This is not the bossing Martha that she was before. This is now a listening Martha, waiting to see what Jesus will do. And then we see this incredible statement of faith. Martha has been listening, and she knows who Jesus is. She knows that Jesus is the Messiah. The Greek word for that is Christ, Christos, which is Christ. It means the anointed one. She tells them that you are the Son of God that was to come into the world. What an amazing statement of faith. Joan um, Weaver, in her book, Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World, says this about Martha. Scholars call this declaration one of the most incredible statements of faith in Scripture, for it cuts to the very essence of who Jesus was and is. And this insightful proclamation came not from contemplative, sensitive Mary, but from organized, duty-bound, but teachable Martha. It was Martha that makes this most amazing statement of faith in Scripture. Martha was teachable. So I asked myself, do I have a teachable spirit? Do I listen and learn what Jesus is saying to me? So let's take a look now at Mary. We know in Luke 10, you don't have to turn back there, but we read in Luke 10, verse 39, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to what he said. Mary was a listener. She was a listener. She desired to know Jesus. Now, Mary was probably more of a listener by nature, but that doesn't take away anything from the fact that she chose to listen to him. 
Mary, it seems, also was probably more contemplative. She was quiet, more sensitive. She was passionate. And because of that, she might have been more melancholy and so was more vulnerable to despair when her brother Lazarus died. Because we read in that verse 20 that when Martha ran out to meet Jesus, Mary stayed at home. But let's see what Mary does uh, after that. In verse 28, it says that Martha went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. We see Mary, the minute she hears that Jesus is calling for her, she gets up and she quickly goes to him, and she falls at his feet. And I want us to notice that every time we see Mary, she is at his feet. And that's why I love this picture that does that too. She's at his feet. She always approaches Jesus in humility and with reverence for who he is. And then she says the same question. This must have been going around the house a lot. Jesus, if you'd only been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But then she stops there because she's weeping and she is distraught. And we see Jesus begin to weep. Now Mary must have been touched by his compassion. Um, I don't know why Jesus was weeping. There's all kinds of different thoughts. Some scholars say that it was because of the grief of Mary and the others. Some commentaries say that he wept over the tragic consequences of sin. And still others say that it was because of the unbelief of so many in Israel. I don't think it really matters because I think we see the compassion of Jesus coming from all of those things. So we see the compassion of Jesus and we also see his humanity in these tears. And then the very next thing Mary's going to see is the deity of Christ as he raises Lazarus from the dead. Let's drop down to um, verse... 41 there. So they took away the stone, and Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. What joy! Mary must have experienced as she sees her brother Lazarus alive and well. What joy and what gratitude filled her heart when this happened. We go on to see Mary in one more place, and I think we see the expression of her gratitude and joy in this next um, part, place in Scripture, and that's in John 12, the very next chapter over, starting in verse 1. But before we read there, I want to read these verses in between because I think they give us great insight into what was happening. 
Verse 45 says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the political and religious leaders in Jerusalem. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. And verse 53 says, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now, uh, this story of Lazarus being raised from the dead is probably in uh, the winter, a few months before Jesus would go to the cross in the spring. So this was just a few months before that. And um, Jesus, uh, we see, read in verse 34, no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim where he stayed with his disciples. And then in verse 55, about two months have passed, and when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. And they kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they would ask one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so they might arrest him. Have you ever thought about the fact it was the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead that sealed the death warrant of Jesus? Many people put their faith in Jesus at this time. And this didn't happen way up in Galilee. This happened in Bethany, just two miles outside of Jerusalem, very close to Jerusalem. And we know there were many Jews that had come from Jerusalem that were there mourning. They put their faith in Jesus. And now those religious leaders are really upset And they want to find Jesus and arrest him so that they can kill him. It says they were plotting his death. So let's go on now with that in mind and read these verses in chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Okay, so it's six days before Passover. It's the Saturday before Jesus would go to the cross on Friday. And he has now come back from Ephraim and he's on his way to Jerusalem and he passes through Bethany. And it says, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Now this story is also told in Matthew and Mark and there we learn that this is taking place at the home of Simon the leper. Now we don't know his relationship with um, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, but they must have been very good friends because they're all there. And we see Martha serving. And I want to just take a second to uh, make a note of that, that Martha is serving. But now she's serving with a heart that is focused on Jesus first. Jesus didn't tell Martha that serving was bad. It was her priorities that needed changing. And they did change. And so she is serving. You know, Jesus never told her, be like Mary. He didn't say that. He said Martha needed 
to change her priorities and to seek him first and to let her service come out of seeking Christ. Once again, we see Jesus with different um, people, with different gifts and talents, and they're using them to serve him in these different ways. I think Martha worshipped Jesus by serving. Martha uh, had an attitude now of Jesus first, and so out of that came her service. But we're not looking at Martha, we're looking at Mary, and so back to Mary. Let's read verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, the perfume was nard. We know that that's a very aromatic oil that came from India. It was very expensive, very precious, and that it's in an alabaster jar. We read that in Matthew. And alabaster was a stone that is whitish, and it becomes almost translucent when it's polished. And in this bottle, there was a stopper that was sealed. And so she had to break that seal to pour the ointment on Jesus' feet. Once again, she's at the feet of Jesus. Now, I want you to picture this scene with me. It's not like it is today with a bunch of men around a table and Mary's underneath trying to you know, pour this on Jesus' feet. No, in those days, the table was a low table, and out from the table were low couches. And the men would recline on the couch, on their left arm, on a pillow, and then their so they'd be leaning in towards the table, and their feet would be out. It would be like spokes. And then they would dip into the bowl, I think with their hand, and get the food and bring it to their mouth. And so we see Martha is bringing to this table the food she's serving, and Lazarus is sitting at the table, and Mary thinks she's overcome with love and gratitude and adoration and devotion for the Lord. And she thinks to herself, what can I do for Jesus? I think that she knew The time was drawing near. She probably knows how raising Lazarus from the dead um, had caused the religious leaders to want to arrest him. They had made that known. Anybody that knows where Jesus is, tell us. Jesus had already said to them that he must die. He had told that to the disciples, and he had told it to others as it got close to his time, but they didn't get it. But I think contemplative, intuitive, sensitive, listening Mary gets it. I think that she knows that the time for Jesus is short. And she thinks, what can I give to him? What do I have? And so she quickly goes and she gets her most precious possession, this bottle, this jar of nard, the expensive perfume. And she breaks open the top of it and she pours it on his feet and wipes his feet with her hair. And it says that the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. Can you picture that? She gives to Jesus lavishly and extravagantly out of her love and devotion for Jesus. She gives with abandon. Mary worships Jesus by giving. You know, last week Amy talked about our gratitude in action. I think Mary, Martha's gratitude in action was serving. Mary's gratitude in action is seen through giving. And Jesus understands Mary's worship, and he accepts it. Unlike Judas, 
Verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. We see Mary gives to Jesus openly and unselfishly. Judas takes for himself secretly and selfishly. Mary's heart was grateful, and Judas's heart was greedy. Mary worshipped Jesus, and we know that soon Judas would go out and betray Jesus. Quite a contrast there. Jesus understands these two sisters and their differences, and he loved them both. One was not better than the other. They were different, and he loved them both. And we can learn great lessons from both of them. I hope that you learn many lessons. I have one application that I want to just take a minute or two to talk about that jumped out at me, and it is how do I pay attention to Jesus? How can I... Keep from becoming distracted. How do I pay attention to Jesus? First, be willing to listen. Proverbs 4, 20, 22 says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Be willing to listen. Read the word and ask God, What do you have for me in this? What is this saying to me? Do what you're doing today. Be here at Bible study. Be willing to listen. And then second, act on what you hear. James tells us that it's foolishness to hear the word but not to obey it. So act on what you hear. This is where change takes place. This is where we see if we have a teachable spirit. John 10:27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Be willing to listen and then act on what you hear. And then the third thing is to realize that Jesus is always with you. I want to tell you a story about a monk who lived in the 1600s, and his name was Brother Lawrence. And he came to know Christ later in life, and so he joined a monastery in Paris as a lay brother. And the lay brothers had the more menial menial tasks, and so he was assigned to the kitchen. And he, at first, went there grumbling to himself about this job. And then he realized, I am thinking more about myself than I am about God. And so he began to focus his thoughts on God, and a dramatic change took place He began to write uh, some letters to different people and to write down some of his thoughts, and it was put together into a book um, called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And his um, premise was that we must be aware, first of all, of his nearness, that Jesus is with us. And instead of striving for his presence in church or in our quiet time, in those kind of devotional acts, and those are all good, but he said, think about the presence of Jesus all day long. He is with you all day long. As you go through your day, as you rise up, 
Thank him that your eyes are open and that you have this day. As you lie down, thank him for what has gone on, good and bad. As you drive your carpool, as you sit at the sink doing the dishes, as you sit down with your children, as you sit at lunch with some friends, it just takes a moment to think about Jesus, to lift up a prayer or a praise or a request. Call out to him what's going on in your day. This is what Brother Lawrence did, and I want to read just two Two things. I just think this is such a remarkable thing to think about and to practice in our life. And he says this. Pray remember what I have recommended to you, which is to think often on God by day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. He is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. You would think it rude to leave a friend alone who came to visit you. Why then must God be neglected? Do not then forget him, but think on him often. Adore him continually. I love that thought. If a friend came to visit, we wouldn't just leave him sitting there. So why Jesus? Talk to him during your day. And then he says this. He requires no great matters of us. A little remembrance of him from time to time. A little adoration. Sometimes to pray for his grace. Sometimes to offer him your sufferings. And sometimes to return him thanks for the favors he has given you and still gives you in the midst of your troubles and to console yourself with him the oftenest you can. Lift up your heart to him, sometimes even at your meals and when you're in company. The least little remembrance will always be acceptable to him. You need not cry very loud. He is nearer to us than we are aware of. Ladies, I challenge you to think about Jesus all through your day. Talk to him. Lift up just those thoughts. It doesn't take much. Sometimes maybe instead of doing more and striving more, we need to do less. And just as we go through the day, lift up praises and thanksgivings and petitions to Jesus. Lord, thank you for being with us all the time. Thank you for your written word that you give us so that we might hear your voice so that we might know what you would have for us. Father, give us hearts that want to change and be teachable and to walk with you, to follow you. Father, I thank you for these women. I pray, Lord, that you would bless each one of us this week. Father, that you would make your presence so known to us, that we would be so aware of it, that we couldn't help but not speak to you all through our day as we rise up and lie down and and drive our cars and and talk to our kids or our friends or whatever. Father, that we would remember you in all those times. Father, make our hearts open to you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.